to the cause of the king. I've been ushered in to your presence. Lord, I stand on your merciful ground, yet with every step, tread with reverence. Welcome in to the cause of the king. I've been ushered in to your presence, Lord. I stand on your merciful ground, yet with every step tread with reverence, and I fall face down as your glory shines. Equal, you are far above. 
Not only do we welcome you to Christchurch this morning, both those of you who are present here and those who are watching online in one form or another, but as we've just been listening to that song, we are welcomed into the courts of the King, our risen Lord Jesus, who is present with us now. And we can come right into his presence as we are, because the scripture tells us that because of what Jesus did for us, we have peace with God. So as we pray together, Lord, let your glory shine around. Let your forgiving, let your power to forgive and your power to heal be present in this place as we meet in your name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And so we proceed to our opening prayer, which will be on the screen can I ask you all to look at the words carefully because they have been modified a little. So let us pray together. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, open the eyes of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that by faith we may see you in our midst, may perfectly love you, and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So let's stand. And just in a moment, just before we sing, in a moment of quiet, let us just thank, you, thank the Lord for answering that prayer. Let us thank him that our sins are all on his cross. Let us thank him that he is here and that he is revealing himself to us and that he is enabling us to perfectly love him and really praise his name because he has made us worthy, because Jesus alone is worthy and he gives us that. So let's stand and sing and crown Jesus with many crowns, King of kings and Lord of lords.
we praise and thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are a great big God. You're present with us, and nothing is impossible for you. So let's, so let's rejoice in that together. Our God is a great big God. stand here in your love, holding your hands out, saying, come to me, all you who are struggling and are heavy laden, I will refresh you. And you do that for each one of us, Lord. Lord, thank you that we are people who are loved by you. We can't understand why, Lord, you would want to, but we praise you that you do. So who can know
amazed at your glory. We stand amazed at your majesty. We stand amazed at your goodness. As we continue to stand, let's just take a moment to pray for our youngsters. Uh, there's groups for uh, children of secondary school age as well as children of primary school age. Sorry about that. Um, so it's time for you to go to your groups now. We'll, say, um, we'll welcome you back when we come to offer him, offer him. So let's just pray for our children and all the youngsters and those looking after them. Lord Jesus, we pray for your blessing on the, all our youngsters this morning. Lord, may, they, may you be with them as much as you're with he, us here. May your spirit be moving in, amongst them. May you draw them closer to you, Lord. Strengthen them. Fill them with your spirit, Lord. And fill them with the knowledge of the Lord. We pray for their teachers, their leaders. Pray your blessing on them. Thank you for what they do. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So children leave. We're going to do something slight, again slightly different now. Um, sitting in the nine o'clock service last, last week, I was struck just how much, as we said the creed together, um, those who want to stay, sit down do, but you'll be standing up again in a minute. <laughs> um, just how much we can say the creed to the glory of God. It's, it's, in many ways, use it as a hymn of praise. So let's stand and we'll use the words of the creed together. We're proclaiming this because it's true. We're proclaiming this because all the truths of God are glorious and true. And we're proclaiming this to ourselves. And we're proclaiming it to all those around us as an encouragement to each other. And we're proclaiming this to the powers of darkness. Say, this is what we believe. This is what we hear. This is what is true. Because Jesus said, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So let's say this together. We believe in one God. The Father the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Ghost Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic and apostolic church, we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Would you like to be seated now? I 
again in a change to the usual way we do things before we have the ministry of the word we're going to come bring our intercessions before the lord we sung in that children's song our god is a great big god stood in awe in his presence. We've proclaimed the truth of who he is and what he has done for us and what he wants to do for so many of those around us. So let's come before him and pray in faith knowing that he longs to answer our prayers. He longs to see our prayers making a difference as we come to a powerful God. So this, this weekend when we commemorate the first anniversary of the death of Queen Elizabeth, let us first of all thank God again for her legacy, for all that she achieved during her very long reign. Let us thank him too that that legacy stemmed from her deep faith in you, her Lord and Saviour that she is now among the many thousands and thousands and thousands of people around your throne praising the name of Jesus. Let us pray for the rest of the, for the remaining, for the new royal family with Charles our King, Camilla our Queen and all the other members with all their difficulties as, as well as all their strengths. Let us commend them into the hands of our loving God. Let us pray too for our political, our elected political leaders, for wisdom, for compassion. For wisdom in particular, for all those meeting together at the G8 summit in India. With just as well as wise and economically expedient decisions may be made. Casting our mind further afield. We pray for all those suffering as a result of the Moroccan earthquake. Pray for all those who have been bereaved, all those who have been injured, all those working to rescue those who, who have survived. for our schools who went back this week. New school year. For those who've moved from infants to juniors. For those who've moved from juniors into secondary school. For those who've moved from secondary school into uh, further education or out and into, uh, into whatever career opportunities are that are there for them. Let's pray for other teachers. days when so much of the truth seems to be obscured. Let's pray for them that they may teach according to your will. And finally, 
in a moment or two of quiet. Let us just pray for any friends of ours, anybody known to us in particular, who is, who is struggling. There are several members of this, this, this congregation who may well come to mind. Let us just in the, in, our, in the eye of our imagination, just lift them up before Jesus. Let us see him again with our mind's eye, reaching out his hand and touching them, and blessing them wherever they need to be blessed. Let's just take a moment of quiet to do that. We come, we come now to the ministry of the, world, the Word. Richard is going to come and read the scriptures for a moment, then Peter, Peter will preach. As you know, we're working our way backwards through the Ten Commandments, um, a bit like um, 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 Apollo, um, a, a rocket countdown. I assure you there won't be, um, well, who knows what might happen when we get to number one. But uh, let's pray for them now. Lord, we pray for Richard as he reads your word for your anointing on him. And for Peter, as he, pray, as he preaches. And for us, Lord, that you would open our eyes, our ears, to hear you. Amen. Thank you, Richard. There are two readings this morning. <coughs> uh, let me, first of all, give you the page numbers if you're following in the Church Bibles page 78, and then page 1,214. <coughs> so first of all, the commandment which we're looking at today. Um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And then James chapter 3 verses 3 to 8. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil 
full of deadly poison. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good morning. I hope you survived the heat this week. I think the temperatures are beginning to, beginning to go down. Uh, thank goodness, I think probably most of us are saying. Um, but uh, it's been a, a, what a week of weather, my goodness. So we're looking at uh, the ninth commandment today, which Richard has just read. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Uh, we live in a world of words, don't we? Uh, words are around us all over the place. We have newspapers. Uh, we uh, watch TV shows. Uh, we have mobiles. We're reading um, things on our mobiles. We're sending text messages. Words, words, words. We're all surrounded by words. We're, all, we're using words all over the place, all the time. Um, you go down the high street or you go on the internet and you get the things that say, you know, things like, get the best deal for your mobile phone package. Um, and so we sometimes get sort of cheap words. And yet we know words are the most priceless possession we possess. The most priceless possession we enjoy. Words are amazing gifts from God for us to use uh, and enjoy. And yet we still find it hard to trust people. Uh, we find it hard to trust people. These are just a few um, things you may be able to relate to, that things you probably heard people saying to you. Uh, satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Uh, the check is in the post. One size fits all. Now there's one, isn't there? Uh, you've probably heard this one. This questionnaire will take you just two minutes of your time. Mm. I don't think Ursula's here, but she might, she might have liked this one, she may not have liked this one. Open wide, this won't hurt. Yeah, right. We, we, all know, we all know, don't we, we, that we know that the matter of truth and the loss of truth is a big deal in our world today. We know that, don't we? Uh, especially when we come to the arena of public morality. I'm just going to talk about public morality for a moment. <clears throat> um, just think about the things that have happened in the last few decades in public morality. Um, cast your mind back to the 1990s. Uh, President Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. My goodness, what a scandal that was. Or go back further in time to the 1960s and the Watergate era, or the 1970s, the Watergate era. Uh, come forward in time towards more modern times and think of the phenomenon of the spin doctor. And there have been many examples of spin doctors, haven't there, in the, in the last few years, of, of people who kind of spun words to what they hope is good effects. I mean, goodness, goodness me, the COVID era was a case in point, wasn't it? Just think of uh, Matt Hancock and his inability, it seems, to keep away from his special advisor in times of social distancing. Or think of Dominic Cummings, who uh, apparently needed to go and visit Barnard's Castle in order, in order to see if he was well enough to drive. Or dare I say, Boris Johnson our erstwhile Prime Minister, and Partygate accusations against him, which of course led to his downfall. 
And that ends up with, with the electorate, with, with people uh, like you, like me, beginning to wonder if there is any truth left in our politicians anymore. So we come up against a commandment that is going to challenge us in our very obvious sinfulness. I don't want to get you all feeling guilty, but this is going to make you feel guilty. Because this is part, the Ten Commandments are to, part of what they're doing is to confront us in our humanity. And humanity, it seems, will uh, rather lie sometimes than, than to tell the truth if the truth is going to hurt. And we all do it, don't we? If anybody ever says to me, I've never lied, well, I think you're not telling the truth. And we all tell a little white lie from time to time, don't we? Um, in its most innocent, innocent way, you know, when somebody says to you, how are you today? And you don't really want to let on the full truth of how you're feeling, how you're doing, what your last week has been like, what you're upset about, or whatever. You don't, you know, you've got to judge it on the circumstances of the person who's asking the question. And often we just say, I'm fine, I'm fine. That's not, a really, that's not a serious falsehood, of course it's not. But we judge our response on who we're talking to and the, the, the circumstances, as I said, as to how we answer that question. But this commandment takes us to a deeper level and tackles a deeper issue. So I'll just repeat the commandment again. It says, God says, do not give false testimony against your neighbour. And so the warning and the prohibition of that commandment is to do with uh, your uh, dealings your, with your neighbour are lying against your neighbour. And of course this is a courtroom uh, circumstance, isn't it? Do not give false testimony against your neighbour. This is referring to what you might call a courtroom circumstance. So if you are called to be a witness in a, in a, um, a case in court, you will be asked to swear on the Bible uh, whether you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And so your standing as a witness in that courtroom depends on you being utterly truthful in your testimony. That's what the judge demands of you, requires of you, that you will be truthful in your testimony. And if your testimony is found to be untruthful, you are then found to be lying under oath. So that is the commandment that this one is, this is what this commandment is getting to the heart of. Lying isn't simply wrong, but lying affects other people. Lying gets in the way of our relationships with other people. And yet there are all sorts of reasons as human beings we justify to ourselves why it may be acceptable to, uh, to not tell the whole truth. We, we might forget. We might forget that work-related expense and not be completely open about that work-related expense. Uh, we might smooth the figures so that the figures look okay. We might even adjust the seating plan. If you've ever been in this situation, you go to a, a function, I don't know, sort of wedding reception or some other thing like that, and you see the seating plan, and you're tempted to, you know, move the seating plan so that you sit where you want to sit rather than where the host wants you to sit. We all do it. We're all prone to it. We lean towards lying if we're honest about it or not. If we're honest about it, that's how we are as, as people. We lean towards lying. So why is falsehood such a problem in our relationships? 
Why, is it, why, is it, why does it cause such a problem in relationships with other people? Why is God so bothered about it? He cut it into the stone on Mount Sinai. Well, before we get to why it's a problem for God, let's think about the, the cost of lying in society, the cost of lying to each other. If, the, if, we, if we didn't lie, people didn't lie, there would be no need for lawyers who make millions out of defamation cases. If we didn't lie, the breakdown of families wouldn't be quite so catastrophic. Without lying, there wouldn't be such a culture of pessimism and skepticism that we exist in. And what is more, our culture is pervasively one of relativism. You've probably heard this term, relativism. In other words, what may be true for you is not necessarily true for me. That's what relativism is all about. It's a postmodern phenomenon. We're in, we're in a postmodern age now. We, we live in this age where truth is what you make it. And therefore, there are no absolute truths. Um, wh- whether you're like me at this point, you're thinking of a, a different politician who exists on the other side of the Atlantic and the well-known fake news that he goes on about. So this is all about relativism and postmodernism, all these isms that we're living in and amongst in our world, in our society, in our culture. And so society may make it easy for us to tell lies to other people, but when we're faced with God, we've got a big problem. Why is that? Because with God, there are absolute truths. The Bible declares from page one, uh, the Bible declares that God is truth. God is truth. And so if you were to uh, look up the word truth, um, Google it or look in a Bible dictionary, and you looked up the word truth in the Bible, it will bring you up with all sorts of references about the God who is truth. So these are just three examples. Psalm 146 verse 6 says, God is a maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything else in them, and he remains truthful forever. Jesus says about himself, he says, if you hold to my teaching, you will be my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's John, 8, verse 30, John chapter 8, verse 32. Uh, Paul says in his letter to, to Titus, he says, God does not lie. And I'll add another one from Hebrews. Hebrews uh, chapter 6, verse 18 says, it is impossible for God to lie. Do you get the picture? God is truth. And in, in the verse you're probably all thinking about, that is, is the most obvious one we're thinking about this, Jesus says to his scared disciples, his scared followers, when he is about to be taken away from them to be flogged and executed, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Truth is God's very essence. There is no falsehood in God. And so that is partly why it's such a problem for God when we aren't quite truthful with our neighbour. Because when we lie, we are disfiguring the image of God that is in each of us. We're disfiguring that image a little bit more. And so we make it a little bit harder for us to come to before God and say, I'm sorry, God. So it's a problem with God because there are absolute truths. Because with God there are absolute truths. 
So it's a, it's a problem with God because God is always truthful, but it also show, shows up our falsehood. It shows up who we are. Secondly, it shows up who we really are in the end, uh, when, we, when you put God in the picture. One of the most terrifying things that Jesus said is this. He says in Luke chapter 8, verse 17, For all that is secret will eventually be brought out into the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. That's terrifying, isn't it? Let me read that again. Just feel the full force of what Jesus is saying. For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. So one day all those things that you've done, that I've done, that we really would rather nobody else ever heard about or knew about, one day all those things will be brought out into the open. And in the end, God will judge all of our hearts. Every single person's heart, whether they're Christians or not, every single person. Because God is the arbiter of all those disputes, because he is truth. God is light declares John the Apostle. In him there is no darkness at all. 1 John 3 verse 5. There's no point running from God because God knows where we are. He knows what we're like. You, you know, wherever you go, God is there. Psalm 139 says it, doesn't it? It's fascinating. J. John um, points this out in his book, um, the Just Ten book that's uh, with this course. He, he points out, it's fascinating to notice, to notice um, um, the widespread use of surveillance cameras in this country. And we have less than 1% of the population of the world in our country, and yet apparently we have 10% of the world's surveillance cameras. So basically what's happened, it's a sad fact, isn't it? But if you take God out of the picture, if you take God out of the equation, if you take God out of society as our society by and large has, you have to find some other way of, insur of ensuring truth. So... It's a problem with God because there are absolute truth, because God is truth. Secondly, because we, will, we can't escape from God. He's there, or he, he can see us. And another big reason uh, for lying for God, why this is a problem for God, is that this is, we're denying ourselves who we really are when we lie. Some people lie about their weight. Some people lie about their age. It's not a particularly serious lie. But if you lie about who you are before God, then that's serious. And that is particularly the case when we push the blame somewhere else onto someone else. So in the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve is, you know, is, 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 epitomizes this human trait of pushing the blame somewhere else onto somebody else. So Adam and Eve, there they are in Genesis beginning of the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, everything is good, everything is fresh, everything is green, no sin anywhere. They're innocent. And then they eat the fruit of the tree of that forbidden tree. They eat the fruit from that forbidden tree. God says, don't eat that. You can eat from all the others, don't, just don't touch that one. And yet they do. But it's the conversation that they subsequently have with God which is very revealing about the human heart and the ability of the human heart to push the blame somewhere else. 
So let me just recount the story to you in Gen- from Genesis. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as, they, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman replied, The serpent, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Fascinating exchange, isn't it? This is humanity, isn't it? This is the, the man Adam is there and he's, he's realizing the wrong he's done. He, they're hiding from God. They realize they've just done something wrong. But instead of putting his hand up and saying, I'm sorry, Lord, it's my fault. I, I did it. I know it's, it's out of bounds, but I've done it. I've eaten from the tree. He tries to pin the blame on the woman, on Eve. But the ultimate lie here isn't Adam or Eve. Ultimately, it's not Adam or Eve. It's a serpent who is the liar. Jesus calls, uh, in John's Gospel, he calls the serpent the father of all lies. The devil, the father of all lies. And yet that trait of ducking responsibility, it wasn't my fault, I didn't do it, somebody else did it. Rather than our responsibility, responsible attitude of saying, yes, I got it wrong, I admit to it, it was my fault. That trait has never left humanity. And it has eternal consequences. When human beings come up against God and our need to ask God for help to live his way. Paul says, doesn't he, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the biggest lie that human beings can say is, I don't need God. I've got myself. I don't need God. I'm okay. That's the biggest lie of all. That's simply not true. We all need God's forgiveness. We all need a new start. We only can find that when we accept that Jesus has done it for us on the cross. Amen? Yeah? So lying and telling falsehoods against our neighbour not only disfigures our own self, our own humanity, our own worth, it's also a problem for, for God because he is truth. He knows us intimately. We can't escape him. And as the Apostle John says, if we say we have no sin, there is no truth in us. We deceive ourselves and there's no truth in us. And the truth is not in us. So, what I, so I confronted you with the reality here and I'm, I'm, I've been quite, you know, upfront about this. But what can we do about lying then? What can we do about lying? How do we take, what steps can we take to counter this very human tendency to falsehood. First thing, I'm going to suggest some negative, more negative ones, and I'll get to the positive suggestions. Firstly, taming the tongue. As I said right at the outset, words are everywhere. Words are all around us. Words, we speak words. Words are everywhere. And it is our tongue that utters those spoken words. Esau the famous teller of fables, was once asked, what is the most powerful instrument in the world? And he said, the tongue. And what is the most destructive thing in the world? He said, the tongue. The tongue is small, and yet it is deadly. 
Apostle James says, uh, Richard read this as the second reading. The Apostle James says this, The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Whoa. These words should make us think. We've got to tame the tongue. We've all been harmed by words spoken in anger, haven't we? We've all been uh, on, the, on the other end of ill-thought-through words, all of us. We all know people who are self-confessed, speak-first, think-later people. In World War II, there was a poster that boldly said, careless talk costs lives. And so we need to watch what we say and when we say it. That's why God has given us two ears and one mouth, isn't it? So, tame the tongue. Secondly, shun gossip. Gossip. Someone once said that gossip is something you hear about someone you don't like. Gossip is something you hear about someone you don't like. Now, if we're really being honest, many of us love a good love. We we love us a good gossip. Many. I'm not going to say all of us, but many of us like a good bit of gossip. But the Bible is very plain, isn't it? That is out of bounds for the righteous. Proverbs says, Proverbs 26, verse 20. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Jesus says, for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So when we share gossip, and I'm not going to say any of us do, but many of us probably, when we share gossip, we bring people down. And we contribute to that destructiveness and that carelessness that words can bring about. And so we need to monitor if what we're sharing is gossip. And so this is a test, okay? These are suggestions. How you test whether something is gossip or not. So, if the person concerned were listening, would I still share what I'm about to say? So if the person concerned is listening, would I still, would I still share what I'm about to say? Or would I sign my name to this bit of information? Or if this bit of news was emailed to the person concerned, would I feel ashamed? Or this, I think this is a, a helpful phrase. Is this my envelope to open? In other words, is it, is it right? Is it my business to hear about this or be involved in that bit of news? But only are we called as Christians to shun gossip, we're also called to protest against it. So perhaps the next time someone starts gossiping, wherever you are, whatever place you're in, whether you're in a cafe, or you're in the shops, or you're wherever you're, doing, I don't know, wherever you are, maybe get the courage up to say, do you know that's, do you know that's true? Are you sure? Or even, when you're, if you're feeling really brave, I just don't want to hear that, because I think that's hearsay. So shun gossip, there's better things to talk about. Okay, so what about some positive steps to truth telling firstly be open now i don't mean you know at the end of the service turn to someone you're next near or you know and, and start telling them the, de- the deep, deepest darkest secrets of your life and you know all that stuff yeah i'm not i'm not saying that what 
I'm saying that it's in a place of honesty and trust is where you are, can be open about what is really going on in your life. So maybe if you're in a home group and, you know, in your home group, there's that level of trust, level of honesty that you've reached in your home group. And so therefore, that might be a good place where you can be open about how you are, really, because you've built that trust up in your group. Um, if you're using the notes that go with the series, and there's some on the table out there that goes with uh, this week, there's a couple of questions that, that uh, are along the lines of being a- accountable and open. Uh, and so this, these questions, one of them says, or two of them say, are you accountable to anyone at the moment? Is there someone you could trust to ask you the hard question about the reality of your life and faith? I think they're good questions. And so the idea is, as a follower of Jesus, as as someone who's following Jesus, the word made flesh, truth incarnate, we can openly and honestly admit we need help to tell the truth. And our fellow Christians are people who can help us to do that. Nearly there. Um, Last one. Be an encourager. Our words have got great impact, haven't they? What we say has great impact, so use them wisely. Paul says to the Thessalonians, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Now, I've got a flip chart. Somebody said this is going back to 1970 or something. Maybe it is. But there's a, a good test we can use in this area. I'm going to put my radio mic on, John. Okay. So, a good, it's called the think test. Okay, so if you consider the use of this So, when you are talking to someone about something, whatever it is and you're sharing, is it true Is, is what you're saying true, as far as you know? Is it true? Secondly, is it helpful? If what you're about to share with someone isn't helpful, it may not be the right thing to say. I mean, you've got to, you've got to judge this yourself, haven't you? Oh, thank you. Very good point. Helpful. I don't mean helpful at all. <laughs> That's the thing about doing anything live, isn't it? <laughs> helpful. Is it helpful? Yeah, is it help is it does it help people? Is it inspiring? That's another another test. Is it is it gonna inspire someone? Is it gonna you know Oh, yes, that's good. That's good news. I like that. Is it going to inspire them into good action or good whatever? Did I spell that right? I think it did. <laughs> is it necessary? Now, this is another one, isn't it? Is it necessary? Is it what I'm about to share? Is it necessary? Is it, we're in the world of kind of, again, about sharing stories or whatever it is. Is it necessary? To share that. And then lastly, is it kind? 
So that's a good test, isn't it? <clears throat> to be an encourager. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Think. The think test is a good one, isn't it? And then lastly, be true to your word. Uh, one of the characteristics of a, <clears throat> of a godly person is someone who sticks to their word. No matter what the circumstance, they stick to their word. They say, Lord, I am going to be true to my word, whatever the circumstances are in, whether someone is, is, is trying to shame me, trying to divert me from my faith, trying to make me change my mind on something, they are true to their word. Jesus says, doesn't he, let your no be no and your yes be yes. Matthew 5, verse 37, in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your no be no and your yes be yes. Wouldn't it be wonderful if in an obituary when you die, somebody writes about you that you were a trustworthy person. That your words were truthful and trustworthy. And so as people of God, we need to aim for that highest goal of trustworthiness and transparency because God is trustworthy and true. Truth. Our God is just and true. He calls us to say words that are true and fair and honest. And this commandment, the ninth one, might feel, it might seem easy to duck like the tenth, but breaking it has big consequences. So may we be known as people of the truth who tell the truth. So to lead people to the truth, who is Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour. Thank you, Peter. So let's, as we digest this, let's just stay in the presence of the Lord for a moment or two. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about taking off the old self and putting on the new self which has been created to be like God and, and in fact is in we receive because it is in union with God, with Jesus. And as we come before him and as we allow him to search our hearts this matter of being truthful, being, being truthful, speaking the truth in love. Let us bear that in mind. James talks about the tongue, but of course behind the tongue are the nerves, and the brain, the speech center, and the 
access to the brain. And in there, of course, lie our motives, our desires, who we are as people. And so let's allow him to search us. for our motives. The people we want to gossip about, why? Does he say more about our dislikes, our prejudices? What are our desires to belittle those we disagree with who think or who think differently, look differently. But there is good news. Because all of these things, we do not, yes, we feel guilty about them, but we look up to the cross and we see Jesus bearing the guilt for those sins so that we, can, we are free to renounce them. We are free to allow the life of Jesus to change us as we take off these things, as we look at our prejudices, as we look at our delights and say, Lord, no, that is not how you want us to be. Therefore, I can take this off. In the strength that your spirit gives me, I can take this off. I can renounce it. So let's come before the Lord now, right now and do that. motive is people whose words have hurt us in the past. And we can come to Jesus for healing from those hurts. And because Jesus has already borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, we can forgive. It's maybe not too difficult for some. It may be quite difficult for others, in which case I would strongly advise you to find somebody you can share this with. But in all these sins, let us look up to heaven, look up to the cross, and see that, see that God, who made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin, for us, so that we might become in him the righteousness of God. And let's receive that from Jesus now. going to be
sorry about this, we're having problems with the um, PA at the moment. We're going to be celebrating communion in a moment where again, Jesus gives in symbol of bread and wine, Jesus gives himself to us. As we do that, as we let go of our sin and we come into his presence again, and in union with him, we can know victory over these things. But above all these things, we come to the cross. And so in a moment we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to share the peace, and then Peter is going to lead communion for us. Okay. Um, as we sing this hymn, can we ask the children to come back, please? Thank you. Thanks. So let's stand and sing before the throne of God above. <laughs> to the verse I started with at the beginning of this service, through what, uh, uh, which I'm paraphrasing slightly, I know, through what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we have peace with God. So as we share the peace with each other, again being careful that, the, that some may still because of COVID or anxieties about um, viruses, 
wish to keep a distance, please be sensitive to that. But as we share the peace with one another, we are saying, we're saying to every, each one of us, and we're using it as a blessing, you have peace with God. So as we share the peace together, let's remember that. So the peace of the Lord be always with you. I'm going to receive the, the offering now, and uh, then I'll uh, say the Eucharistic prayer. So thank you, Terry. Father, we thank you for your great love for us, the love that took you to the cross. And we pray, Lord, that these offerings and those offerings we give in other ways would be used to build your church, to proclaim and share the good news of Jesus, who is Lord and Saviour. And in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to use Eucharistic prayer A. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right, it is our duty and our joy at all times and in all places to give you thanks and praise. Holy Father, Heavenly King, Almighty and Eternal God, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. For he is your living word. Through him you have created all things from the beginning and formed us in your own image. Through him you have freed us from the slavery of sin, giving him to be born of a woman and to die upon the cross. You raised him from the dead and exalted him to your right hand on high. Through him you have sent upon us your holy and life-giving spirit and made us a people for your own possession. Therefore with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, 
we proclaim your great and glorious name, forever praising you and saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Accept our praises, Heavenly Father. Through your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, and as we follow his example and obey his command, grant that by the power of your Holy Spirit, these gifts of bread and wine may be to us his body and his blood, who in the same night that he was betrayed took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and gave you thanks. He gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Therefore, Heavenly Father, we remember his offering of himself, made once for all upon the cross. We proclaim his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension. We look for the coming of your kingdom. And with this bread and this cup, we make the memorial of Christ, your Son, our Lord. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Accept through him our great high priest, this our sacrifice of thanks and praise. And as we eat and drink these holy gifts in the presence of your divine majesty, renew us by your spirit, inspire us with your love, and unite us in the body of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, with all who stand before you in earth and heaven, we worship you, Father Almighty, in songs of everlasting praise. Blessing and honour and glory and power be yours for ever and ever. Amen. And so we pray the prayer. Jesus himself has taught us to pray. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. Draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood, which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Most merciful Lord, your love compels us to come in. Our hands were unclean, our hearts were unprepared. We were not fit even to eat the crumbs from under your table. But you, Lord, are the God of our salvation, and share your bread with sinners. 
So cleanse and feed us with the precious body and blood of your Son, that he may live in us and we in him, and that we with the whole company of Christ may sit and eat in your kingdom. Amen. So we continue our uh, custom, which has become normal, of sharing the bread from the middle table and the wine from either side, and the non-alcoholic wine will be on that side of the church, and you will be guided forward. Why should I gain 
Body of Christ, keep you in eternal life. Amen. Amen. And the blood of Christ, keep you in eternal life. Amen. Amen. Let's pray for those who are unable to be with us in church this morning. Father, we lift you anybody we know who is unable to be here with us in person this morning. We pray you, the God of truth, would help them to be people of truth. That you, Holy Spirit, the comforter, the enabler, the one who brings peace, bring them your peace and enable them to live for you. Bless them, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we pray this prayer together following communion. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. 
Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. As the previous incumbent here used to say, it's been an honour and a privilege to worship with you this morning. Just before we finish, um, the, um, do the groups that went out um, during, this, uh, during the ministry of the word want to come and share what they've been at? I can see Ian get it, him jumping up. And enthusiasm. Come on, anybody want to come and join him? <laughs> Good morning, everyone. What we did at Children's Club is we asked the children a question, and it was before Mother Teresa went out and ministered on the streets of Calcutta. Did she A, say a prayer, or B, put her feet up, make a cup of tea, and watch Homes Under the Hammer? And I'm delighted to say every single child said she said a prayer. We then looked at how that was biblical, and throughout, when you look at the Bible, there's numerous times where before people did things, they stopped and they prayed. And the craft was, we've got two hands clasped together, and inside it's got, say a prayer. And the children have written a little prayer, and there's a prayer for the church which we put out back. And it's for the children just to keep with their Bible, and just to always remind them just to say a prayer before they do anything. So Sophie wants me to say something first and then she's going to, she's going to uh, carry on. So we were a select group of um, me, Sophie and Naomi. Um, but we were thinking today about what it means to have faith. Um, and so we, were, we played a game and we talked about that and we looked at a picture. Um, so we looked at this picture, I don't know if you can see, but it's of people... Um, around an inner swimming pool and we use this um, to think about where we are in our relationship with God whether we're sort of dipping our toe in whether we're about to dive in whether we're swimming away and we talked about what might make a difference for us in our relationship with God in our walk with God and where perhaps we might like to be in a year's time um, so yeah so we use that um, do you want to carry on yeah okay um, so after, before we talked about the photo, we looked at how we could have a relationship with God, and we discussed like um, what would be a good relationship in a friend, and how we could like trust, loyalty, and we thought that everything that came back to what a friend would be like was everything that God could be like, and um, so yeah, like Debbie said, there's different stages of um, having a relationship with God and at the end we picked a verse that um, we thought related to us the most and I picked and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age.
you. Thank you both groups. Um, do remember to have a look at that prayer that Ian was talking about that they've left on the, um, left, um, in the foyer. Do, do have a look at it while you're having your coffee. Before we have our final hymn, Peter has some notices. Just one. Just one. Um, the All Age team, which is me, Sue and Stuart, are planning the All Age. The All Age is next week at 10.45. We are doing it on um, sharing faith and, um, you know, just uh, standing up for God or, or being guided by God in some way. So what we'd like is, if possible, someone who would be willing to share a testimony about how you've been guided by God in a, in a circumstance, wherever that is. So if you are around next Sunday at the All Age and you feel God is prompting you, asking you, however you want to put it, to share a testimony about how God has guided you in something or other in your life, it'd be great to hear it. Uh, so please do email me, find me, whatever, and uh, we will then hopefully, you know, we'll want to slot that into the service. So uh, please do that in the next few days. That would be wonderful to do. Thank you, John. Thank you, Peter. Our final here is an old Graham Kendrick one. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. As we move forward from one stage or other of our Christian life, as we've been hearing, we, know, we discover more just how true that is. So let's stand and rejoice together in what Jesus has done for us. We thank you that you are the God of power, the God of glory, and you go with us as we go into the world to share your love and your message with, you, with those around us. Thank you, Lord, that all authority has been given to you 
and therefore you say to us, go. And so, Lord, knowing that you go with us, we go with Please bless us this week, Lord, and may we be a blessing to others around us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Instead of a formal blessing, we're going to bless each other in the words of one more song. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Let's, the words are up there. Let's try and sing it to each other as well as keeping an eye on the words. Good luck. Thanks.